Well, you guys fooled me. <laughs> Our guest, about 50, would show up this morning. It looks like we may be a little over 100 even. And uh, I'm glad for that. Um, but this is what uh, I call Big Snow Sunday. And uh, you may not think very much about that, but preachers do. They remember Big Snow Sundays. Because there's usually some kind of adjustment that they make um, anticipating one thing or another. And um, you guys fooled me, okay? I had something else uh, planned for today, and then I looked at the snow and the weather and all that, and I said, eh, let's save that for another time. Let's just do something else today. Um, my first big snow Sunday that I remember is back in January of 1970. I was, uh, we lived in Nashville. I was preaching at a little church down in Tracy City, Tennessee. That's 110 miles away from Nashville. Serena was pregnant with uh, Derek at the time. We were driving 110 miles one way to get down to that place. Uh, it's on Mont Eagle, uh, by Mont Eagle, Tennessee. It's on a mountain. That's why it's called Mont Eagle. Anyway, uh, I hadn't paid too much attention to the weather, but the further we drove, the worse the weather got. We barely got to the top of the mountain, just barely. And uh, it was a church of maybe 50 people ordinarily. On this Sunday, I think about 15 showed up. And uh, I made one of the biggest mistakes of my life. I got there. I mean, that was good. But I had a sermon all prepared on Hebrews 10:25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. <laughs> as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more, as you see today. And you have to know, at this time in my life, when, when my gun was loaded, there was no unloading it. You just had to shoot it. That's all there was. And uh, I felt sorry for the people. <laughs> but that's one of the reasons why I remember that particular Sunday. I remember my first big snow Sunday here at Sunshine. That would have been January 7, 1996. You say, well, how do you, <laughs> how do you know that stuff, Steve? I have ways of keeping track of this, okay? So uh, don't, just trust me on this. But it was a big snow Sunday, January 7, 1996, and I had adjusted things because I knew that there was snow coming and they just kept right on coming. About 9 o'clock that morning, and that, that's when the yellow house still existed over here, and that's where I was living, I got a knock at the door about 9 o'clock in the morning. And there was a person standing there that was, uh, I guess you could say they were attenders here at Sunshine, but their attendance was sporadic at best. But for some reason or other, on this particular Sunday, when there was 10 or 12 inches of snow on the ground, this guy decides to show up. And he, he plows right up my driveway, comes up on the porch, knocks on the door, are we having church today? And I'm like, man, when it's sun shining and, and the birds are singing, where are you? <laughs> that's, that's the thought's going through my mind. I said, yeah, we're having church. I said, I don't think there'd be too many people there, but there's a whole line of people that can walk here at that time. And you could count on 15 or 20 showing up, no matter what happened. I mean, no matter what the weather was. But uh, he wanted to know if we were having services. And then I watched him get in his truck. He had a, a four-wheel drive Toyota with a big knobby tires on it. And he plowed out of there, and he plowed over here. And that was before the lot got plowed, you know, for, for parking and things like that. And I watched him do donuts for about two or three minutes over here in the lot. And so I know what this is about. It's the challenge. 
It's the challenge of getting to church. He's not particularly concerned about getting to church. But uh, I remember uh, we had about 20 people who showed up. And I did not preach on Hebrews 10.25. I had already made that adjustment. What I did do is I talked about the God of the snow. And that's what I want to talk about today. I, I saw the bulletin article this morning. And, you know, on, on a Sunday like this, everyone just kind of relaxes. And we don't, um, we're just intent on getting here and having our time together. We're not trying to do anything special. We just want to be together. We want to be gathered around the throne of God. And this morning, I want us to worship and think about the God of the snow. There are three verses I want to go to very quickly. And let me warn you right here. If you get up and go to the bathroom, uh, I won't be here when you get back. <laughs> so th this, is, this is going to be short, okay? I want to start with Job chapter 38, 22 and 23. This is where Job is or God is talking to Job. Finally, Job is, and his friends have had all kinds of things to say in the first 37 chapters of Job. And, man, they've said all kinds of stuff. Some of it good and some of it not. And finally, God shows up, and, he's, and he poses a series of questions to Job to make one big point with him. God is questioning Job, and he says this in verse 22 and 23. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle? And of course, uh, Job doesn't know anything about storehouses of snow. I mean, think about it. How would, you, how would you get all that's on the ground out there somewhere up there in the storehouses where it comes from? I mean, we understand some about how that process works, but there, it's just beyond us as human beings to get what's on that ground out there, up there, stored up and ready for something. And so Job got the point. He said, you know, I, I, I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about storehouses of snow. But it's beyond any human being to store snow and hail in the sky above, but God can do it. And that was basically God's point with Job. He says, you know, you've had an awful lot to say about me and to me. Let's let me ask you a few questions. And Job got the point. There's something else about this verse I want you to notice about, these, uh, about the snow and hail that is stored up above. God says, I have reserved this for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle. What this tells me is that God uh, uses somehow snow and hail as a weapon. It's a tool in his hand. He reserves the snow and the hail for the day of war and battle. In my limited knowledge of history, I can think of a couple times, and actually more than that, but the two came to mind pretty quickly. I can think of a couple times when snow and ice was the deciding factor in the day of war and battle. In June of 1812, the great uh, General Napoleon invaded Russia with his grand army. His army was far superior to the Russian forces and the Russians didn't even bother to fight. They just kind of fought a retreating action. They would harass. They, would, uh, they were burning crops and buildings and all that so that there was nothing for this army to live on. And they kept drawing Napoleon deeper and deeper into Russia. Napoleon thought that uh, they, he would clean up all of Russia in, during the summer of 1812. But uh, that wasn't what was going to be. Russia is a big place. 
and the Russian army kept retreating. They, they even gave up Moscow without a fight. And when Napoleon took Moscow with no resistance, uh, that wasn't enough because he didn't want that big army of the Russians still out there laying around waiting for him. So he goes after the army and he chases them. And he wants to defeat that army and he kept pushing deeper and deeper into Russia. And then came September, October, November, and then came the winter. And Napoleon had not prepared for the day of ice and snow and hail. The Russian army did not defeat Napoleon, the Russian winter did. The snow and ice became the deciding factor in that, in that whole thing. Napoleon went into Russia with 680,000 men, and he left in December of 1812, just six months later, with 27,000. The deciding factor was the snow, snow and the hail. And so God says, I have prepared, I have stored up the snow and the hail for the day of war and battle. Basically, the same thing happened again about 138 years later. In June of 1941, the Nazis invade Russia with superior forces. This time, the Russians were a little more uh, intent on resisting, and they, they resisted fiercely, but they were being forced to retreat slowly back into Russia. Hitler thought he was going to do the same thing. He was going to go in and clean up Russia in, what, uh, during the summer of uh, 1941. And then came October, and November, and December. And ultimately, it was the snow and the ice of the Russian winter that handed the Nazi army their first major defeat. But as God told Job, snow and hail is reserved for the day of war and battle. It's a tool or weapon in God's hand to influence the outcome, and it is a powerful tool. I want you to think about Psalm 148, verses 7 through 13. This was our, our scripture reading for today. And uh, we have a song in our, in our hymn books that is based on this, on this particular portion of scripture. Let me read it to you again. But this, what this, uh, what this uh, psalm does is command all of creation to worship and praise and glorify God. Here we go, verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. Now, it's a little odd to think of, about snow and hail and mountains and, and, the, and the seas all praising and glorifying God's name. But that's what's going on here in Psalm 148 as, as David writes this psalm. He's saying God is commanding all of creation to offer praise to him. A little odd for us to think about snow praising God. But if, if I wanted to take the time, there are many things about snow that actually magnify and glorify God. And I'm not going to go there this morning because I do want to keep this short. But I'm reminded of something that, that happened with Jesus in Luke chapter 19 because this sounds very much like this, the same kind of thinking. In Luke 19, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the last time. It's about a week before the Passover. And as he's coming in, you know what happened. That's when the people were calling out to him, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they were putting their clothes down in front of him and, the, and the, the palm leaves and all that. And Jesus is riding along on the donkey. 
And the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, tell Jesus, don't you hear what they're doing? Tell your people, tell these people to shut up. Be quiet. And Jesus said something in that just fits in here. He says, if they don't praise me, the rocks themselves will cry out. All of creation, even the snow, is created by God to praise him. And here's the third verses I want you to think about. You know these verses. I, I know you do. Isaiah 118. This is the verse that says, come now, let us reason together. Thus says the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And then another verse that right along the same line is part of the prayer of David in Psalm 50, 51 and 7. He says there, purge me or purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And so David is, David is, is confessing what may have been the greatest or most notable sin uh, of his life, the, the sin with Bathsheba and all the and the murder of of Uriah and all that. And Psalm fifty one, we think, is is the place and the time where he writes out his prayer to God and, and it is preserved for us. But in both cases, Isaiah chapter one and, and David in Psalm fifty one, snow was the whitest and purest thing that he knew about. And when the biblical writers needed to express how clean God's forgiveness would make us they used the purest and whitest thing they knew anything about, and that was snow. The God of the snow is the God of cleansing and washing. We all bear the stain of sin, and we can't get it out, not by ourselves. But God can take the blood of his son and wash us and make us whiter than snow. If someone were to confess Christ today, if someone were to repent of their sins and to be baptized, God would wash them and make them whiter than snow. Serena told me a story one time about her and her father. She loved her father and uh, valued the time that she had with him. And she was very young when, when all this happened. But her father had gone out off into the woods after a big snow, and Serena had wanted to go. And when she found out that he had already taken off, she, she went outside to look for him and uh, discovered that she had been left behind. She wanted to be with her dad couldn't see him anywhere on the horizon but she did see his footprints in the snow and she knew if she followed those footprints she would surely eventually catch up with him and ordinarily she was not uh, not that brave but with the footprints so clear in the snow she took off and felt totally safe even though she could not see her father none of us have ever seen Jesus Someday we will, but for now we have not seen him. But Jesus has done something for us. He's left something very clear. He's left some very clear footprints for his disciples to follow. And even though we can't see him in this walk of faith, we can see his footprints and we are confident that if we follow those footprints, eventually we will find him. Maybe there's someone here this morning who would like to become a Christian. And as I said just a moment ago, to confess our faith in Jesus, to repent, to be baptized, will bring us into the body of Christ. And God cleanses us and he makes us whiter than snow. If there's someone here this morning that would like to respond, when we sing this hymn of invitation, we invite you to come. Let's stand and sing it.